The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. So we're just going to dive right into our, into our text. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is showing us. And I'm excited that um, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it shows us um, sometimes the, the not perfect aspects of church life, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about? Like so many books are written where the, the winners, the heroes have no flaws. Not exactly how the, the, the Bible works. It's kind of messy. You know, sometimes it, we, as, as we've been studying the book of Acts, we run into things like Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and even Acts chapter 5. We get these snapshots of what the church was all about. And it's like, man, it was so good. Everybody's loving each other and all this kind of stuff. But sometimes we miss the setbacks. And when we don't realize, not everything was always perfect. So I want us to jump back into uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, turn in your Bibles. They're going to be Acts chapter 6. And let me just, let me just give you a heads up here. Um, I'm going to be referencing a lot of Scripture. I'm going to be jumping around a lot. So if you're a note taker, get that pen ready, all right? If you're just a digital note taker, get those thumbs ready. Um, and I'm going to give us a bunch of passages uh, most of them will be up on the screen, so it'll give you the, the chance to follow along. But main text today, Acts chapter 6, we're going to jump back into the story. Okay, so um, the church is growing. Uh, we learned a couple chapters ago that there were 5,000 men in the church at this point, which basically is not, you know, being chauvinistic. It was counting households, heads of households, 5,000 men. We're talking, I mean, we could be up 15,000 plus members of the church of Jerusalem at this time, the church of Jesus at this time. And even since then, there's multiple statements that uh, Luke, the author of Acts, keeps saying things like, and they kept adding more to their number, and they kept adding more to their number. This was a growing community. So in light of this, here's now they're going to get into some of what was going on in-house. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, which that is simply uh, Jews who had adopted some of the Greek customs and lifestyles. So there's a little bit of tension there between those who had adopted some of those lifestyles and, and cultural customs and whatnot, and the Hebraic Jews, uh, those who hadn't, right? So the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Just a quick little pause here. Let's not be Christians who get so fixated on every setback that we miss the overarching uh, momentum and trajectory of where God's church is moving. Sometimes we get locked up on the setbacks. But I think of the story so far in the book of Acts has been all like, the whole tone of it has been like, God is moving, let's go. People are getting saved, this is awesome. Let's keep moving, let's keep going. There's an excitement, there's a tone in it. 
But we've already hit stories like Peter and John getting thrown in jail and accused. We've already hit stories or like threatened. We've already hit stories of of people lying to the Holy Spirit and, and dropping dead. We've already hit stories of the, all 12 leaders of the church arrested twice in 24 hours and flogged. Like, we've hit all of these stories, and now we're coming into some, some, some bickering among, like, culture, like, people with different cultures, bickering back and forth with one another. Like, sometimes we as Christians, we can lock on to, like, one little thing, and then we're just like, oh, the church. I think it's sad. I think sometimes we miss what God is doing, right? Like, how easy would it have been like, oh man, Peter and John, they just got arrested. What are we going to do? It'd be really easy to, to latch on to the fact, people are dropping dead. Man, I'm done with this. It'd be really easy to be like, man, they got arrested twice. What is going on? They got flogged. I'm out. Man, look at this. Now they're all just bickering. This church stuff stuff doesn't even work. And yet the whole tone of the passage of the, of, of the biblical narrative up to this point is God is moving. God is moving. The, the, the people are getting saved. New lives are coming in. Like, but here's the deal. When we get our eyes off the mission of what God is accomplishing and desires accomplish around us, we tend to get fixated on the setbacks. Let me tell you guys, God is moving. If you're locking in on a setback, I'm guessing you're probably losing peace and losing joy. But let me tell you what. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, not should not, not may not, but the gates of hell will not stand against it. Like God's church has been moving forward from the moment he uttered those words. Let's not forget that. That's a freebie. Let's get onto the text. All right. In those days, there's this bickering that was taking place because of different Jews and cultural backgrounds. But I, I want to just, let's go on a journey here real quick. How we got to this point, right? From starting out in Acts chapter 2, people are getting saved. 3,000 on day one. Like, yo, I'm telling you what. Like, if I preached a sermon and 3,000 people got saved, like, I would be pretty excited about that. Like, that's a pretty good, like, success rate, like, for preachers, okay? Um, they're like, so man, it started awesome, but then they realized, man, there's this, Jesus was like all about, like, we got to go meet people's needs. And so they begin to, to feel the weight of the need. I mean, because let's be honest, Jesus really was going after people that had a lot of need. That was kind of his main target. And so now these 12 guys who are appointed to be leaders in the church, they're feeling this need. And I imagine that could be heavy. And then, and then more and more people get saved and like that gets heavier and heavier. And then the church starts giving all this money and people are being generous. They're like, man, this is working. This is awesome. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's this like another yay moment. And then all of a sudden, boom, another huge wave of people get saved. And now it's like, I, I, can we really keep up with all of this? Like this is getting really heavy. I don't know. Like 10 plus 15,000 people. And then people start selling their houses and start giving like the proceeds to like property and vehicles. They don't have vehicles, but big things. They're selling and they're giving to the church. And they're like, man, let's meet these needs. And I, it had to be like all over the place. And I, I can only imagine, I can, I can only imagine some of the, the conversation that must have gone on in the, with the disciples, right? Like this isn't the scripture. I'm just, I'm just, just, just allow me some creative liberty here. Like the 12 apostles were, were so different. They, they were so varied. And I can imagine 
there's some of them that in the middle of all this, like they're feeding, they're feeding all these widows and, and doing, running this, 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 this really, they birthed like a food distribution ministry. Like it was substantial. It says the daily distribution of food. Daily, they were taking, they were taking in funds and bu- purchasing food and delivering it all over the city. Like there was a, this big thing. And I, I can imagine some of them were like, yes, this is what Jesus called us to do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're feeding the hungry. This Man, Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, you do to me. This is it. I'm sure some others are like, yeah, but I'm getting exhausted. <laughs> like he, he told us to preach and teach, and I, I don't even have time to think, let alone like this, this ministry load is getting heavy. I would imagine there's probably a little bit of dispute here. Some saying, I'm worn out. Some, sort of, some said we're, we're called to the poor. And so here's the decision that they made. So, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. That's not the 12. That's like I don't know how they got all, everybody. It's a big church right now. But they, they, they got people together and they spread the word and they said this, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That doesn't, like anybody else that like just feels funny, like I, I don't feel like you're supposed to be able to say that, right? I, I, it, okay, maybe just, okay. It just makes me feel funny inside. I don't know, I don't know why. Neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Like we're supposed to be doing, or whatever. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose uh, Stephen and six other guys. Uh, and verse six, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And verse seven, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I could spend a long time in just this text. There's so much good stuff here, but, but here's where we're going to land. Like, the disciples had a, a, what seems to be like a tough decision to make, and, and maybe even an awkward decision to make. Like, I feel called specifically to to hear, but it feels weird to say, like, I'm going to hand off the messy work while I do the upfront work. It just feels funny. And yet it's exactly what they did, and we don't get any signs that there was any, like, hesitation necessarily. So what I want to look at is, is what what are three fundamental foundational truths that led to the disciples being able to make this very wise decision? Okay, because we see the church grew, people got saved. It was a good deal. So I want to look at just some of the fundamental truths that are kind of like laid the foundation for this decision making that we see throughout Scripture. Okay, so we're going to take a slightly different approach to this. Um, But here's what I want us to see. Here's what we want to see. The first foundational truth I want us to look at is this. We are all called to serve. We are all called to serve. This week, um, well, even before we get there, look, look at this. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, and then Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it's the exact same. It's word for word, the exact same, which means they really honed in on this. It says this, the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ma- ransom for many. He, he, he sets this precedent with his disciples. He's like, this is the reason I came. I came to serve. 
Not so that other people could serve me. Which is interesting. You listen to the, 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 the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Are, is the, the same thing comes up over and over again, right? Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the leaders? Who's going to sit at your right and your left? Who, like, what's our role going to be in your like, kingdom? They're looking for leadership. Jesus says it's not even about that. It's about service. It's about serving. This is the reason I came. I came to serve. In fact, there's a, there's a story in our Bible reading this week, and it just, it just got me in a way that it, I hadn't caught before. And so I'll just read a little part of it. It's when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet right before he went to the cross. You remember the story? He, he's sitting there with his, with his 12 there, and of those 12, Judas Iscariot was there. Judas was just about to get up from that table and go turn him over to be executed, like in a couple hours. And Jesus gets up and he, he takes off his outer cloak, jacket, whatever, and he, he bends down and he washes their feet. And you guys know the story, right? It's a scummy job reserved for the lowest of the servants. Like they didn't have paved streets and animals use the streets and animals do what animals do on the streets and they're all wearing sandals. It's like a gross deal. It's reserved for the lowest of the low and Jesus gets down and he begins to watch each one of their feet. And then he says this at the end of it. In John chapter 13, verse 13 to 17, it says this, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, you made sure you recognize like this, this is, I am who, who you think I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I can only imagine a pause right here as all the guys are looking around the table and like, Jesus, you shouldn't have done this for me. Like, this is beneath you. Because I'm certainly not doing this for anybody else. <laughs> this is gross. No, no, this is not what we do. Jesus, you're somebody. Somebodies aren't supposed to wash the feet of, well, they thought they were somebody too, of lesser somebodies, right? And so I can, I can only imagine a pause as he looked on the looks of these faces while they're like processing this and kind of going like, yeah, 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 but, no, no, but this can't. And so he says this, very true, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master or a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Look at this. No servant is greater than his master. What he's saying, he's looking at them like, I'm your master, right? You're not greater than me right? No, no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. You're, I'm sending you, right? You're not greater than me. In other words, what he's saying is, is, do you think this kind of thing is beneath you? This is why I came. In other words, and this is the phrase that just st stood out to me that I, I'd never really thought of until I was reading it in my quiet time this week. But essentially, Jesus was saying, do you think you're better than me? Like, this is why I came to wash feet. This is why I came to get dirty. This is why I came to sacrificially lay my life down, not just in death, but in every act of life. But are you too good for that? Whew, that just hit me this week. Do you think you're better than me? Listen, serving is not just something that we do. Like, I'm a Christian, now I need to learn to serve. Servanthood is the way of life for Jesus followers. 
Like it's the way of life. The way we live is simply this. You see a need and you meet it. We are called to serve. Now, let me build on that for just a moment. And I promise we'll bring it back to Acts here. Let me build on that for a moment. We are called to serve in different ways. Okay, this is still first ver- uh, point one, but we're just making point one a little bit longer. We are called to serve in different ways. And this is what I mean. Um, how do we serve, right? The simplest form, I just said, you see a need and you meet it, right? We can all do that, right? I see a need. If I got the capacity, I see a need and I meet it. But the world is filled with needs all around us. But God has, and what we see in the scripture, and I think this is really cool, God has, has uniquely created you and designed you to meet certain needs in certain ways. God is amazing at the way that he put all this together. Like he's specifically designed us to, to meet specific needs in specific ways through the gifts that he gives to each of us. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to say about spiritual gifts. And there's a lot of people who love diving into this topic. And there's been books written and series done and, and workshops to, to do and online quizzes to take and all of this stuff to dive into it. Like, what's my spiritual gift and, and all those things, right? And so there's a lot there and it can get a little bit complicated. So my goal is to dive in a little bit and hopefully simplify some of this for us. So let me just, let me just hit a few key passages of scripture when it comes to serving and our spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter four, verse four through eight says this. First, Paul is establishing like a precedent of unity. He says this, there's one body and one spirit. Just you're called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Do you think he's making a point here? Right? We are one, we are united, but we're not uniform. Because he goes on to say this, but to each one of us, okay, so he, he said, we are one, we are this one. Now, everyone that makes up the one, each one, each one of us, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In other words, God has given you a grace that's different than your grace that's different than your grace. Now, I'm not talking about grace for salvation. We've all received the same grace for salvation to anybody. Now, again, let me just preface this. This is for those who've received the gift of salvation, who've committed their life fully and completely to follow Jesus. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, like it says, every single one of us is given a different grace on our life as Christ sees fit. And later on, it says, it goes on, this is why it says he gave gifts to his, his people. So Paul is connecting this concept of gifts, these spiritual gifts, to this concept of a special grace that is given to him. And it's not just in Ephesians that he says this. He says it in Romans chapter 12, which uh, amazing chapter of scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse six through eight, he says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Again, there's this connection that these gifts, basically what these spiritual gifts are that, that a lot of people study and look at and we see in Romans 12 and we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and we see in Ephesians chapter 4, we see in all these different places. Basically what Paul is saying here is this is what the, the, the gifts are, the spiritual gifts in their simplest forms. It's just a special grace that God has given you for a certain way. That's different for all of us, but it, it, it's a special grace that God has given. So this is what it says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according, according to your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Basically, if God has put a special grace, not if, he has, God has put a special grace on your life for something, know what it is, and then do it with all your heart. Now, Romans 1 is interesting, though, right? Because there's some of these things that are like, wait a second, if it's serving, then serve? Does that mean, does that mean God has given some people the gift of serving, so that means if I don't have the gift of serving, I'm off the hook? Right? That doesn't work that way, because they also have the gift of faith. And we know we can't even come to God without faith. He talks about the gift of giving. Sweet, I don't have to give another dollar again. I don't have the gift of giving. No, there, there's certain things, certain aspects of, of just Christian life. He's like, hey, the, these are just parts of life, right? You need to serve, you need to give. At certain points, in certain times, in certain relationships, you're going to be called to lead. But that doesn't mean you have that gift. This is like all of us experience normal aspects of life and obedience. And yet we see in Scripture that for whatever reason, there just might be this special grace on somebody's life for a specific thing. So basically, a spiritual gift is just a special grace. And uh, we can, again, a lot of people love to look close at this and categorize and define, and, and it can get kind of confusing too, right? Like uh, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, we see things like word of knowledge and then also a word of wisdom. What's the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom? And is there overlap with a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and also a word of an encouragement? And if somebody has the gift of encouragement and, and somebody else has the gift of prophecy, is the gift of prophecy any different than the gift of encouragement? And is is all teaching of the word in some way prophetic because you hear from God? And like, there, there can be some complexities when we try to like split hairs on all of the spiritual gifts. But here's what I've noticed is that when, when Paul and, and the biblical authors talk about the spiritual gifts, you're never going to find two lists of spiritual gifts identical. And I don't think it's because the biblical authors are just yanking us around. I, I think it's intentional. Because it's not about how we define our spiritual gift or the title that we give it. It's about recognizing God has a grace on your life for a purpose. Okay? Um, you know, because one of the questions people ask, so what's my spiritual gift? And we want this really spiritual answer. Let me just ask you, like, if, you want, if, you, if, you're, if that's you, there are things you can do and whatever to help kind of here's the simplest way. What's your passion? What's your holy passion? I'm going to guess your spiritual gift is in somehow tied to that. Um, here's another thing. What's your love language? I know that's a popular kind of concept or your love language, how you give and receive love most naturally. I would say part of your gifting, part of your spiritual gift is the way that you most naturally show love to other people. Just keep doing that. Here's the problem. Sometimes we overvalue other people's gifts by, and undervalue ours because we think because it happens naturally for me that therefore it's not any kind of effort so it's not worth that much. But the reason that it comes natural to you is because God made you that way. Embrace it. That's part of your spiritual gift. Your personality is part of your spiritual, is part of your spiritual gift. Sometimes these spiritual gifts are, are, are developed or sometimes natural talents. What comes easy to you? That's probably part of your spiritual gift. What have you worked hard at for your whole life and now have become pretty good at? That's also part of how God has gifted you. And I would say it usually ties to your passion because why else did you work hard to get that? It gets a little bit dicey. 
Now, let's add another layer to it. Sometimes in the Bible, it says these spiritual gifts were given by the laying on of hands. So sometimes they're natural and developed, and sometimes they're supernatural and right there. But they're not like superpowers. <laughs> they're all kind of in process. That person might have the gift of giving, and that person has the gift of giving, but that person's a little bit more developed because they've been practicing it a little bit longer. That person has the gift of, of, of prophecy. That person has the gift of prophecy, but they've, they've engaged it in different ways. It gets complicated if we let it. So can I just simplify it a little bit for us? What is this special grace for? If a spiritual gift is a, is a specific special grace, what is it for? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a great place. You want some good reading on this? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. I actually wish that that was one chapter, right? I think the chapter titles uh, cause us to, to, to dissect something that's really just one piece of teaching. If you want to learn more on this, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, and read it as one piece. We tend to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and then we tend to look at like the classic wedding chapter about love, and then we compartmentalize, and then look at 14. It's all one thing. And here's what chapter 12, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians uh, is really the, the, the chapter all about that really establishes that picture of the body of Christ, and if the hand says to the foot, that whole thing, okay? It's so good. Everybody's got different gifts. One's not better than the other. It's like, are all people going to do this gift? No. Are all people going to do that gift? No. Are all people going to do this gift? No. And he wraps up chapter 12, and again, he doesn't really wrap up anything. He just, it's one letter. He just goes into the next, but he, but he, he finishes this talk on, on all these gifts, and then he says like, but here's the deal. Quit pursuing one gift above all the rest, First Corinthians, the Corinthian church, they, they apparently were enamored with the gift of, of speaking in tongues, and they're like all about it. And he was like, okay, that's fine, but like it's not like the pinnacle gift. And he says, this, this is really how you need to be operating. And that's how we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is not necessarily about love, though it is all about love. But the reason of writing, it's really all about spiritual gifts. And this is what he says in this context. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, in other words, if I speak in tongues, like you guys are all like going nuts about, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm worthless. If I have the gift of prophecy, oh, that's a good one. And I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, but if I, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I'm the gift of giving. And I give over my body to hardship that I may boast the gift of, I don't know, sacrifice. But I do not have love. I gain nothing. So listen, the gifts, these special graces that God has put on us, the gifts are designed to express love for others. In other words, you could, you, you could say it this way. The spiritual gifts, I don't have this on the, on the screen, but write it down because I think this is there's something here. Spiritual gifts, are in, here's a way to define it. Grace to love others by serving them in a specific way, right? If the way of Jesus is the way of service, if the way of Jesus is how we're supposed to live our life, the way of, of being a servant, it's, it's I did not come to be served, but to serve. It, 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 it's this is what I want you to do. I want you to get down and wash each other's feet. This is the life I've called you to. If it's all about serving one another, and if the spiritual gifts are really just a grace on our lives that are designed 
to express love to one another in order to serve, it makes a lot of sense. Our spiritual gifts are simply this, grace to love others by serving them in a very specific way. Friends, God has given you, put a grace on your life to love people in a specific way, to love them by serving them in a specific way. So listen, we are all called to serve. We all have a gift. And again, that, again if that word freaks you out, uh, spiritual gift, uh, use this. There's a grace on your life. There's a grace on your life to love people and serve people in a specific way. Let me just encourage you, lean into it and be intentional with it. Sometimes we just, we, we want to serve whenever the opportunity arises, but friends, schedule serving. Be intentional with serving. Find creative ways to leverage the way God made you to express God's love to them by serving them. Be intentional. Serving is a way of life. So here in, in Acts chapter 6, the reason I, I, I bring the spiritual gifts in here is because the apostles understood that there's these, this different grace for different gifts. And, and, and that not, it wasn't the church leader's role to do everything. Although that's how it started, right? You see, Paul talks about it in, in Ephesians 4. Again, we started there. Let's come back to there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. He says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And these are some like spiritual gifts, but really these are roles of leadership in the church. And he says, God has given some of these leadership roles to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, here's something interesting. The, the 12 apostles at the beginning, they were the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and the ministry directors, right? They were all of it. And, 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 and yet they realized, they got to this point in Acts chapter 6, when, when their capacity hit a limit. And they recognized this underlying principle, that God had not called these 12 men to do everything. But God had called these 12 men to raise up others and equip them and send them to do works of service, like Paul later talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, and, and, and just practically as a, as a small, medium-ish church, whatever we are with limited resources, we, we constantly are working this. Like, I'll tell you what, nobody's in this church game at Crossroads to make millions and have tons of influence, okay? I'll tell you what the heart of the leadership of this church is all about, is seeing the body of Christ using the special grace that God has put on their life in ways that serves the body, that benefits the whole, that builds the kingdom of God. And, but the apostles understood this. Paul understood this. You know, and even Paul in Ephesians 4, he says the, these, these leadership roles are designed to, to uh, equip everybody else to serve. So does that make a distinction? Does that make like there's leaders and then there's servants, right? So as long as you make it into the leader role, then you don't have to serve anybody, right? Now you just lead. Now you just equip. Um, here's the deal. Church leaders are not exempt from serving. We know that. We know that. And in fact, that brings us to, uh, brings us to number two. Brings us to number two. One, we are all called to serve in different ways. Two, our value is not connected to our role or our gifting. Our value is not connected to our role or gifting. 
Let's talk about leadership for a minute. Um, leadership is one of the gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12. It says to those who lead, lead, who have the gift of leadership, lead diligently. We live in a world and a society right now that loves leadership, right? You could go sign up. Like if you search a leadership conference, you could have your pick. You, I mean, pages of Google uh, responses to leadership conferences, leadership seminars, and leadership training, and leadership books, and Christian, I mean, if, even if you Christian leadership, man, Christian leaders love Christian leadership books. I mean, you, you can get them all over the place. And then for those real spiritual ones, because we listen to Jesus, we're going to not just search Christian leadership. We're going to search servant leadership because servant leadership is where it's at, right? So it's all about servant leadership. Now, I, I had a concept, and there's nothing to take away that, from the term servant leadership. I, I had a professor introduce me to a concept in, in, in Bible college in one of my classes. I think it was called church leadership or something. And, and he challenged that term. Not necessarily, like it's not a bad term, okay? But he challenged the term because when we talk about I'm a leader, I'm a, and I want to be a good leader, I want to be a godly leader, I want to be a servant leader. The problem is our, our, our focus is still in leadership. And if you were to diagram that sentence, I am a servant leader, for those of you who love English. And, anybody just love diagramming sentences? I know there's, there's some of you out there. I know there's some. I kind of liked it in school too. It's weird. I don't know why. Anyway, but if you diagram that sentence, you're going to find out that the word leader, I am a servant leader, leader is the object. Servant is merely, merely a descriptive word of the, of the object. It's merely describing the kind of leadership. Jesus' leadership is different. Like, it, it's interesting, that the, the emphasis that we place on leadership today versus servanthood, and then you mirror that or you hold that up to the New Testament and look at the emphasis that the New Testament plays on servanthood rather than leadership, it's kind of shocking. I think we need godly leaders. I think leadership is significant to the kingdom of God. Absolutely. But let's just remember one thing. My way of life is that of servanthood. The way that I serve God and the way that I serve his people is sometimes he asks me to step into a role of leadership. That role is going to change. You know, I'm not going to be the pastor of Crossroads in 100 years. I mean, that'd be pretty shocking if I was, okay? Setting records. Uh, I'm not going to be the pastor. Somebody else is going to take this role of leadership at some point in time. I, I, I'm a leader in my, my family in different spheres, but guess what? I'm not going to be in that role all the time, but guess what? I will never stop being a servant of the king. So my leadership gifting and yours, you don't, it doesn't have to be church leadership. Your role of leadership in your business. Listen, don't, don't, don't dissect this so much that we miss this. That your role of leadership in your business, you are called first and foremost to serve your clients and serve those that you lead. Because we're first and foremost followers of Jesus. And he says, this is my way of life and this is the way of life I call you to. You serve. And in this specific aspect, in this specific role, at this specific time, I'm asking you to use your giftings. I'm putting a special grace in your life to step into this role to lead. But never get that flipped around. Again, so I'm not saying don't dog every, hey, you're not supposed to say servant leader anymore. Don't do that. That's silly. But I hope you understand the concept that I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a servant first. Leader? Oh, that's just the particular role that I serve today. 
And so here's the deal. We live in a society that, that values the top, okay? So this is what happened in the church. There's the 12, and then there was everybody else. And then as the church grew, the, more, the bigger something gets, the more complexity that it has, the more you need organizational structures that are just going to help you facilitate natural things. That's not evil. It's not bad. It's life, okay? And, and that's what happened here. They, they needed a level of middle management. Not bad. Wise. But what they understood here is this, is that they weren't looking for the best and biggest leaders. They're looking for people who would serve. They're looking for people who walked like Jesus, who lived like him. But here's the thing, in our, in our world today, ooh, that's a fun little phone ring while I'm preaching. All right, my apologies. Now I'm gonna get phone calls from all of you if I don't shut this off right now. I know, I know, I know how you guys are. Um, what was I talking about? I don't even know. All right. Our value is not connected to our role in, or gifting. Here's the deal. In the world today, people value the ability, like the fewer people you have over you, the more value you have. The more people you have under you, the more value you have. The more people who you can tell what to do, the more value you have. And the, the problem is we allow those things to kind of sort of creep in to our own thinking even in the church. Listen, I, I sit in the role of, of leadership, not, not all by myself with the elders, the team of elders, but we sit at the top of that organizational structure. And I don't have an ounce more value than any person who is holding babies in the nursery right now who, or who has never served in a service ever. Our value isn't connected to our, where we find ourselves in the organizational flowchart. Our value is connected to the fact that I'm a son or a daughter of Jesus. Right? So if I'm not on top, I mean, I say air quotes, but somebody has to be there. If I'm not on top, if I'm not in the middle, if I'm down here, guess what? It doesn't matter because even those on the top and in God's economy understand that this is just a role that I play. This is just an, an, an acting of my, of my, uh, of giftings that God has called me to, that my value is not connected to my role or my gifting because I know first and foremost, I'm a servant. And this is where he has me serving right now. Someday later, I won't be here. Someday later, I'll serve somewhere else. Maybe I'll be at the top of another flow chart. Maybe I'll be at the bottom of that flow chart. Does it really matter? No, because I'm a servant, willing to serve wherever God has called me. Friends, this is the call of the church. And this is what, this is the call of Christ. And this is what the, the apostles understood. And this is sometimes hard. And so when they looked at this, and I'm sure they're going like, okay, can we really let go of serving, like feeding widows? Like, I can't, like, I can't stop doing that. What's it going to look like to other people if I'm like, ooh, I got I to gotta be praying. I don't have time to serve widows. Because I'll be honest, it does look a little bit uh, better than you. But that's only because this top-down mentality, this top-down value mentality is so ingrained in us. You see, I believe that the, the 12, 
were confident in the decision because they understood. They didn't see themselves as like, somebody else do this work. But they said, no, I know what I'm called to, and I know the grace that God has put on my life for this right now. And it's not necessarily to serve the widows. And yet, I know God has brought us those who are going to do this better than I could. And so the, the reason that they were able to make this decision is, one, because they understood that we're all called to serve in different ways, and two, because our value is not connected to our role or our gifting. And here's number three. Here's the third reason I believe. is because your obedience advances God's kingdom. Because our obedience advances God's kingdom. Acts chapter 6 verse 7, so the word of God spread and the numbers, number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the word of God spread rapidly. Why did the word of God spread rapidly? <laughs> because they invited a group of guys to run a food pantry. That doesn't even make any sense. That's why I know that there's more there than that. The word of God spread rapidly because of this, because God's people were empowered to operate in the grace that God had given them. Friends, can I, can I just encourage you? You don't have to wait for a title. You don't have to wait for a position. You don't have to wait for somebody to call you up on stage and say, all right, they've really got it. You don't have to wait for somebody to, to wave a magic wand. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's time to step up and serve. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's, it's time to ask some questions. How has God made me uniquely different? You know, I, I know there's some people who, who don't know what to do with the fact that they just feel different. I'll tell you what to do with the fact. Figure out what that different is and use it to serve somebody. Because I'm telling you, listen, I can't do what you can do. I can't reach the people that you can reach. I can't show the love of Jesus. Our elders can't demonstrate the truth of Christ like you can to the people in your life. There is a grace on you, friends. There's a God-ordained specific grace on your life to love people in a specific way. And maybe the grace on your life feels very spiritual and supernatural and it's a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge or, or maybe God wants to use you to heal somebody else. Don't be afraid. Take a step of faith. Or maybe you're like, Mine's not that significant. I just, my heart just breaks for this group of people. Okay, there's something there. God's put a grace on you. Not everybody's heart breaks for that group of people. Don't wait to be asked to lead a ministry group 
Just go love somebody in the specific, unique way that God created you and designed you to be able to love somebody. Because it's not about role. It's not about position. It's not about uh, power. It's not about uh, any of that. It's about simply understanding that I am first and foremost a servant of God. I'm a son and daughter. Listen, listen, listen. Our value is also not in how good we serve. I'm a child of God first and foremost. But as a child of God, like part of understanding the kingdom of God, like he taught about that, is understanding what the, like the family culture is. Okay, so I don't, I don't serve God to win his approval. I don't serve God so I can make it to heaven. I don't serve God to make sure that, 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 that my life is, is perfectly moral and ethical in every possible way. I serve God and others because when I saw Jesus show up on earth, he was like, this is what we do as a family. I'm like, I'm, uh, well, I'm your son. I, 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 I want to be, like, be like you. Friends, some of you just, it's time to get off the sideline and start, and start actively serving the body of Christ and the people that God has put in your life. For others of us, it's just a, a fresh reminder, man, you've been serving, you've been serving, you've been serving, you've been serving, and you've allowed service to be your God. Some of you have been serving and you're serving and you're serving and you're serving and you're wondering where are the accolades for my service? Your value's not there. Don't wait for the accolades. That's not service. That's employment. Just with a different kind of paycheck. If I serve and expect something in return, well, that's not serving at all. Jesus uses that word slave. We don't like that word. But God, whatever you want, I will serve. Wherever you are, whatever it costs, I'll get down and get dirty. If it simply demonstrates the love of Jesus to the family of God and to the world. God, help us do this. Because it's hard, it's easy to talk about serving and all that kind of stuff, but when we get into it, and we have the opportunity to wash the feet of the Judas Iscariots, frankly, if I'm gonna be honest, God, we just don't want to. Frankly, God, it's hard to get to the point to think that they deserve it. God, break us from this worldly perspective. God, if we serve those, if we love those, you said it from your own mouth. God, if we love those who love us, what good is that? Even the pagans do that. Help us to love. Help us to serve. Help us to embrace the specific grace that you've placed on each of us that together as a unified body, uniquely and specifically gifted, that we would be a picture of you to the world that we live in. Guard us from the competitive nature that so often sneaks in to our service.
Forgive us for the entitlement that we've, that we've felt because we serve so much. Forgive us for sitting back and expecting somebody else to serve me. Father, we are your children and we want to look like you. Teach us. Teach us to serve like you. Father, we love you so much. And we are grateful for the opportunity to serve you and to serve your people. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.